Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Dineko. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. Happy 420. Happy 420. Since cannabis and weed is the center of this lovely holiday, we (laughs) wanted to do a nod, but since you can't die from cannabis and you can't overdose, we're going to talk about its ugly stepsister, Spice. Yes, synthetic cannabinoids. You can overdose on marijuana, but it's hard. But that's not to say that cannabis, you know, natural cannabis, is completely safe. Because as you and I always say at the end of every podcast, the dose makes the poison. It's just, it's hard to overdose on cannabis or, you know, extracts of the main components, you know, Delta 9 THC. It's hard to overdose on them most of the time. I guess I didn't realize that overdosing on weed was a thing at all. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know because I had never heard of it Mm -hmm. and I just thought you always would just pass out before you overdosed. And I think most people do. I think before you get to the point where you're becoming physically ill in some way, you do just pass out. And, you know, you don't stop breathing. You don't vomit or anything. So you're just asleep. But, I mean, the last couple of months, you know, you and I have heard of the chronic poisoning, I guess, um, with cannabis that's causing the hyperemesis in chronic Mm -hmm. users. So that would be a, a part or a, that would be a type of chronic exposure, chronic poisoning. Yeah, I guess not lethal, but a poisoning of some sort. Right. That's responding to the increased level of cannabis in the body. And there have even been deaths that have been attributed to can- cannabis in a way that we should be mindful of. Um, I found one site, one website in particular that it just pulled raw data from CDC death reports, which indicated that before 2011, there were, on average, two deaths from cannabis poisoning alone every year. And then in 2011, it spiked to about 20 deaths. And I would guess this is because of the availability of legal weed. Mm, that but makes it's, sense. it's also raw data. Like, they're not doing anything with it. And they cited a 2014 paper that I could only gain access to and uncorrected proof of, so I don't have the final corrected paper But that paper said that they were, um, for the first time in 2014, describing full postmortem examined deaths from cannabis overdose. So how can you attribute two deaths a year on average to cannabis poisoning and then say, okay, in 2014, this is the first time we're sure that it was a cannabis overdose death? Like, the whole raw data thing was just very weird. Yeah, where does this come from even? So... But, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to just be um, glib about cannabis poisoning. And say either, it doesn't you know? kill you. Yeah, so I guess I, you know, it's not, it's not fair to say that it's completely innocuous. Right, right. Okay. And not only has the availability of cannabis increased in the last decade or so, but so has the potency. True that. Yeah. One study estimated that the average potency of Delta 9 THC increased 4% between 1995 and 2017, and that's just in bud. That's just in the plant. Mm-hmm. So that's not even the fact that we can get edibles and vapes that 
are much higher potency than bud because you're expected to eat one gummy and you know take so many hits and then right. then you're done. Um, and they're they are more regulated, and you know you're you're supposed to you're you're supposed to like follow the safety measures that they tell you to, and your you know your edibles and all of that are supposed to have the child safe uh, packaging, but. Cannabis can be especially dangerous to children and animals and people who are at risk for cardiovascular d- disease, which appears to be the only correlation that can be drawn between acute THC ingestion and sudden death. Okay. Is it like they have like a heart attack or something similar? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Currently, there is no established LD50 or oral or inhalational. Sorry. Currently, there is no established LD50 for oral or inhalational human ingestion of THC. Uh, The 2014 paper, the uncorrected one that I found, um, it described two case studies in humans, and it only extrapolated human values based on intravenous rat values, which is like... We're shooting mm, up the pot now? (laughs) No one's doing that. Yeah, I'm shooting up my pot real good. (laughs) <laughs> and so it, it extrapolated that the LD50 for humans intravenously is 30 milligrams per kilogram, but we know that animal studies aren't one-to-one. Sure. And we're not shooting up the pot. <laughs> right. Um, and then for comparison, I just wanted to say that the oral LD50 for THC in mice was 482 milligrams per kilogram. So a metric fuck ton. A metric fuck ton, like a lot. Because, like, most edibles, like, we're in Colorado, most, mm-hmm. like, are 10 milligrams. Yeah. So you'd have to eat, like, 50 edibles. Or you'd no. have to eat a lot. Yeah, you'd have to eat, yeah. Like, let's see, if it's 482 milligrams and the average person weighs about 60 kilograms, uh, that that's still quite a bit. That's still quite a bit. That's a lot. But, again, my studies aren't one-to-one either, so who knows. But either way, THC is still considered a low-toxicity compound. So it's low-toxicity, but it is still toxic. And it's definitely safer than spice. So (laughs) So there's that. (laughs) There's that. Yeah, and this episode is going to have more of a microdose feel. So it's going to feel more like the episodes that we do on Patreon for our patrons who are at the $2 and $5 tier. And... We still have true crime for those episodes, but it's just kind of a looser feel to it. And more focused on the poison and the down and dirty with it. Exactly. So there isn't as much like a single person or a single crime at the center of this story. And it's kind of more of a a broader overview. But I think it's still a good story. And I still wanted to talk about it since 420 is on a Wednesday and Wednesday is our release day and it just all works out. So, in December of 2021, last December, two people died and 41 were hospitalized in Hillsborough County, Florida. Their symptoms included severe bruising, nosebleeds, bleeding gums, vomiting blood, blood and urine or feces, and unusually heavy menstrual bleeding. The Florida Department of Health warned the public that the individuals who were being treated admitted to using the drug Spice before the onset of their symptoms. Spice is also known as K2, synthetic weed, and a bunch of other 
drug names. So whenever I see like the slew of drug names that like it's supposedly called on the street, <laughs> I just feel like I sound like a narc being like, oh, yes, Panama gold, please. Like, <laughs> I would never call it that. It's a synthetic cannabinoid. It's synthetic weed. And it's called that, but it's not actually related to the THC containing plant like at all. So mm. it's a mixture of dried plants that are sprayed with synthetic cannabinoids or neocannabinoids. There's a lot of debate over the vernacular for, like, what the hell do we call these things? Um, and these synthetic cannabinoids mimic the THC high. Spice is not just sold in baggies either, like you see on, you know, the, the after-school specials where, like, right. someone's buying... <laughs> the Ziploc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually sold in dyed packets. So those packets that are sealed, like, in the factories, and they have that, like almost metallic like mm -hmm. sheen to them they look very legitimate they're sold in gas stations and convenience stores and they're labeled as potpourri or incense and it actually says on the packages not for human consumption that this is just a total facade to get around the dea or to attempt to get it around the dea and the fda the synthetic cannabinoids can also be distilled into liquid and used in vape pens and then sold that way but even if it's trying to mimic a THC high or any high at all, mm -hmm. um, bleeding to death does not sound like a fun side effect. Um, <laughs> not worth it, maybe? I agree. I agree. And that's actually part of the true crime aspect of this. Because I'm not looking at this like, oh, it's illegally being sold. It's an illicit drug and therefore it's true crime. Part or somebody's of... murdering somebody with it. Right. Part of the crime is that the spice in particular that was um, hospitalizing people in Hillsborough County and other counties and cities around the United States, part of the reason that was happening is because this batch of spice was tainted with a substance called Bradyfacum, first identified in spice in 2018 by the FDA. And after they found it and they were like, oh shit, that's not good. They issued a statement to inform people that this is actually a long-acting anticoagulant rat poison. Oh, good. Yeah, so that's being used to stretch the spice or it's just being used to taint the spice. Who's to say if there's actually or malicious Or it just got in there. Right, like it just happened like in a lab. Somebody fucked up real bad that Something day. like that. I, I have, I believe that it was more intentional than accidental, but I don't know if it's intentional in the same way that, and I think I've mentioned this before, the um, levamisole that's in cocaine, which is a deworming agent. They put it in so that when you test the cocaine against your tongue, it makes your tongue tingle because I guess that's the sign of good cocaine. Um, but it's a deworming agent and it causes necrosis. So with the rat poison, I don't know if there's something that it, it produces like a stronger high and so it mm. contributes to it or they're like, oh, yeah, this is that's this the is good what spice. I want. Yeah. Yeah. Or if people are just being malicious with it. I don't know. But maybe not intentional in that they were trying to kill people because yes. they need customers. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. The toxin bradyfacum ties up liver enzymes that metabolize drugs, which extends, extends their effects. And so that's part of the reason that people think that maybe it is being added intentionally. And maybe it was being added intentionally. And then somebody was like, well, I could add just more of it and be a dick mm -hmm. and cause severe bleeding. I don't know. Um, but it's really easy to get a hold of because it's sold in hardware stores. Because it's a rat poison, so you can just go pick up rat poison. Mm. Um, but it not only causes severe bleeding, it can also cause brain damage. So it's oh, good. really, really, really not good for you. Bad shit. Don't smoke it. <laughs> so is the spice 
dangerous, like how dangerous is the spice on its own if it's not tainted with the rat poison? It's still very dangerous. It's still something that's really easy for people to overdose on, even when there's not rat poison. In 2018, the NYPD reported 56 confirmed spice overdose cases over just three days in Brooklyn. Jesus. From what they determined was a single, particularly dangerous batch. The same year, 70 people overdosed on a single day in New Haven, Connecticut, and 300 people overdosed in Washington, D.C. over a period of two weeks. It's, this is bad stuff. It's bad stuff. In 2014, New Hampshire actually declared a state of emergency because the number of emergency room visits due to spice ingestion increased that dramatically that year. I mean, this is, I mean, weed, this doesn't even come, because you can't overdose at all on weed, as far as I know. I mean, if you were to take, like, the distilled version that's maybe in vape pens or um, the resin that's used for dabs, Mm -hmm. You might maybe possibly be able to overdose, but the amount that it would take to kill you right. following an overdose, would it's, it's an enormous amount. Yeah. yeah. And this is, that's just so many in such a little, little spurt of time. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, how does how does an overdose look when it's just the spice that's not tainted with the rat poison? When it's just spice, overdose presents as agitation, anxiety, seizures, stroke, coma, kidney injury, which may require dialysis, and death by organ failure if it's allowed to proceed for too long. Yikes. According to the police reports in the articles I read, overdoses are easily recognized because the victim is usually vomiting and agitated and likely experiencing hallucinations. For this reason... The cops like to describe them as acting like zombies and being totally zonked out while fighting with other people on the street mm. and, you know, being aggressive. But I kind of hate when things are described that way. And I know that they're trying to draw a parallel between synthetic cannabinoids, so spice and bath salts. Right. Which is another group of um, synthetic uh, psychoactive substances. But I just, I don't know, the, it's just dehumanizing, I think, to be like, oh, they're acting like zombies. Or it's... um. It feels like it's intentionally trying to make people – they should be worried, but it feels like they're trying to worry people in a different way. Like, they're trying to they're, worry – They're trying they're to, trying to uh, uh, sensationalize it. Yeah, they're trying to sensationalize it and make, you know, the mom and dad, you know, strolling their baby down the street. They're trying to make them scared of it rather than the people who are at risk of ingesting it for whatever circumstance. Right. So I think that's stupid. But – um, spice is dangerous. Spice can make you act zonked out and agitated and hallucinate. It can also cause rapid heart rate, suicidal thoughts, hypotension. Um, and as of 2017, 20 deaths have been linked to synthetic cannabinoids on their own. So, this, this is so far and away from cannabis. Like, yeah, like uh, not even close. Um, the hallucinations, the full on episodes is it called synthetic cannabis because they spray shit on plants that look like weed or is it like the plants that they use where does that mm. come from um it's called synthetic cannabis because of the compounds in the spray the plants actually have very little to do with it so the formulations that have been found at gas stations and then taken for analysis have found to have plants like wild daga and indian warrior um and these plants unsurprisingly because most plants have some sort of medicinal use in mm -hmm. the 
their cultures have grown in those areas have indigenous medicinal uses for them. So like the wild daga, you know, that can be used for hemorrhoids, eczema, skin rashes, things like that. You might be able to ingest it safely. But most of the time, and I, I don't know who's like trying to corroborate this, but maybe they've found that there are people who think that these plants have psychoactive effects on their own, but none of them that I found have psychoactive effects. I mean, sc- some of them are just like skullcap and rose hips, and those are just like tea ingredients. Except, right, and they're just safe. They're safe, smokable plants, mm-hmm. and so that's why they're using it as kind of a vehicle for the chemical. But I also, I mean, I was joking around with the doctor, and he was like, do they use just like literal grass in it? And I was like, right. you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they did right. <laughs> use literal grass because they don't care what the plant is that they're using as the vehicle. Just as long as it burns mm-hmm. in a bowl. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. As far as the structures, which I said are related, this is a lot like fentanyl and the fentanyl analogs. So synthetic cannabinoids started in legitimate laboratories that were researching compounds in marijuana, so the actual plant, for medical purposes. So cannabin cannabinol, which is CBN, was first isolated in the 1930s. CBD was first isolated in 1940. And the THC compounds, because there's delta-9 THC and then a couple others that are related directly to it, those were first extracted in 1942. And so after that, then they were like, okay, we know what they look like. We can start figuring out how do their receptors work? How do they individually impact the body? So in the mid-1960s and early 1970s, research into this pharmacology increased markedly. And that may have also had something to do with the drug culture at the time, but Mm. who's to say? Sure. Cannabinoid receptors weren't suspected to actually exist until the 1980s. So we didn't think that we actually had receptors specifically for that in our bodies until the 1980s. And then we didn't confirm their existence until the 1990s. And then once we confirmed them, we knew that we had CB1 and CB2 receptors and how they function. CB1 receptors are found predominantly, but not exclusively, in the central and peripheral nerve terminals, and they mediate inhibition of transmitter release. So they're inhibitive, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the pattern with which they're distributed through the body uh, accounts for the effects of CB1 agonists, so anything that'll hook onto it. So basically anybody who has experience with cannabis will know that they found that the receptors basically match the pattern for how you feel, right? And so they realized that the pattern for the CB1 receptors reflects insufficient motor activity, uh, a limitation in the pace and range of movements. And that's all just because of the distribution of this specific uh, motor receptor as well as catalepsy, which is um, a seizure with loss of sensation. So you can end up with catalepsy if you just hook on to this CB1 receptor really, really strongly. And this can be induced with cannabis, but not typically, right? Okay. Because we know that cannabis typically does not induce seizure activity. And then they also found that the CB2 receptors exist, but the CB2 receptors don't have as much of the obvious effects that you could see in animals and that are reported by human users. CB2 receptors mainly occur on the immune cells. And so that's mostly just interesting to be like, oh, is there anything that we can exploit here as far as like immune research or maybe not pain, pain relief, but something related to pain relief if you're undergoing some sort of chronic illness. So that's what the CB2 receptors were for. Okay. And then they actually, you know, after that, 
to me at least, the, the logical step that they took was, well, if we have these receptors that are basically lock and key for these cannabinoids, do we have endogenous cannabinoids? And it turns out that, yes, we do actually have endogenous cannabinoids. And what so, is endogenous? Oh, endogenous means that we make it in ourselves. Got it. Okay. And so once they found that and once they had that structure, they were able to say we have the structure of CBD, CBN, THC, and now this endogenous cannabinoid. And so we can just like take these structures and we can just run with them and see what else we can do that's a similar lock and key to these CB1 and CB2 receptors. And so then how did we get to the synthetic part of things? Did Were they just like, well, let's see if we can make this because we're scientists and we want to play God? Basically, yeah. Okay. Once they had all the structures, they were like, can we make something that, you know, has better analgesia or has analgesia but maybe doesn't make you as sort of loopy, you know? So Mm -hmm. more of the CBD type thing because CBD, they found, didn't have any of the psychoactive effects, but it still has that um, a little bit of immune system and the pain relief. Mm -hmm. So that's where it came from. So it did start in legitimate laboratories with legitimate researchers, but then as most things happen, especially drugs, yes, (laughs) it ended up, you know, hitting the streets and illicit chemists and then synthetic cannabinoids, which again, sometimes are called synthetic cannabinoid receptor agonists. So SCRAs or neocannabinoids or just synthetic cannabinoids, um, they were first detected in 2008 in a way that people were like, hmm, these shouldn't be out here. This is not for cannabis <laughs> research. This is just on the streets and on the dark web. Um, but despite being found in 2008 in you know, the packets that were being sold in head shops, um, it wasn't until 2009 that many countries moved to criminalize synthetic cannabinoids and to c- declare them controlled substances. In the U.S., it actually took until 2011, and that's when the DEA classified only five structures that we had found as Schedule One drugs and officially banned them in the U.S. And like I said, they're a lot like the fentanyl analogs because you take the base structure and you just change one thing here and you change one thing here. And so they're hard to pin down and they're hard to find, and we're always one step behind on the analytical Mm. side. After they were first found in 2008, In the first three years that we started looking for them to try to figure out what is in these spice packs, 140 different spice products were identified. Holy shit. Yeah, there is a lot of them. And we only, you know, had five by 2011 that the DEA was like, okay, these are the schedule ones. And so is that why they're able to still be sold at head shops and gas stations and things like that? Because... They can't, oh, this is different. Right. This isn't one of the five mm-hmm. that you criminalized. Right. Got it. And like I said, they're, they're labeled as not for human consumption. And so they're like, oh, well, we told you not to. We told you not to smoke this. Right. We just Why told are you, you smoking to, it? We just told you to burn it. It's just potpourri. Just leave it on the top of your toilet. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. So, yeah. Do we know anything about how they're advertised? Like, did they have a rating, like, of how potent they were? Like, I mean, we, back 
back in the day when I was in high school and there were the chronic and the kind bud, you know, we didn't know the THC ratings like you do now when you go into a dispensary. Uh -huh. But but was there anything like that? Or is it just a wild card of like, this is spice, get fucked up, uh, see, see how it goes? Well, since it's sold as potpourri and incense, yeah, like, not at all. Not at all. Not not this one smells heavily. Like <laughs> super duper smelly shit. I've never seen that. Actually, the only um packets that I can think um because they actually did do some research on this at the school I went to for grad school. And I think they might have been in conjunction with the coroner's office here. Um I don't entirely remember because I wasn't on the the um research group, right? I just remember seeing the poster that they had. And on the poster, there was a picture of like the these packets, these metallic packets I'm talking about. And a lot of them are sold as Scooby snacks. And they hmm. have a picture of Scooby-Doo on them. Um, and, <laughs> copyright. Much. I know, right? I'm, I'm very <laughs> confused by much of this. But it it doesn't say anything about how how it smells. It doesn't say anything about like anything it's just scooby snacks potpourri not for human consumption it was actually kind of a confusing poster to like walk by every day so i did <laughs> read it at one point to be like what the fuck am i even looking at but well and it yeah. just i don't know this is one of those things like where you're like i just want to get fucked up so let's yeah. go like yeah the the consumer is uh non-discriminatory kind of yeah you kind of have to be if if you're to the point where you're like i need something uh, and this is what I've chosen. And part of the reason that people do choose this is because they believe that it doesn't show up on on drug tests. And so people who mm. would perhaps typically use weed, but they, you know, think, oh, it's just synthetic weed. And I know that the synthetic weed is sold in the Scooby Snacks, whatever. I know where to get it. They use it thinking they'll get a similar high and they won't have a drug test that shows up, you know, in random drug tests for work or random drug tests for probation or random drug tests for the military. And so that's where some of these populations are. Yeah, that's that's where I first heard about it. It was around 2010. Mm -hmm. And um, I worked for a company whose clientele was primary young enlisted folks. And mm -hmm they were very hot to trot about the spice be and it was the people who like to smoke weed but because they're in the military they couldn't mm -hmm. and this was the same time that four loco was really big yeah and i mean i just remember hearing like like oh yeah where's smoke yeah oh he got fucked up uh he had a real rough night he did some k2 and he was having four locos and he's in hospital but yeah. that's they all loved it because they knew they wouldn't get it popped on a drug test. Right. Like, right. And actually, what I was reading was in 2011, they did a like self-reporting of high school students. Mm -hmm. One in nine high school seniors in this report admitted to using K2 or Spice. And that made it the second most prevalent illicit drug after marijuana at that time. So that's totally unsurprising. Oh, wow. Yeah. But one of the original chemists who designed some of the synthetic cannabinoids for research purposes, um, he actually said he wouldn't imagine why anybody would try it recreationally because it's just like playing Russian roulette because you don't know which synthetic cannabinoids it's going to be. You don't know how much of the synthetic cannabinoids right. it's going to be. And, yeah, you're probably going to be mixing it with alcohol. It's pretty often mixed with alcohol because people do like to have that polydrug interaction. And that is a terrible idea because... 
mixing things with alcohol is typically never good. But you you don't you know really what, don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, you don't know what you're mixing it with. Yeah, that sounds dangerous. Like I like too much control. Um, <laughs> to, 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 like to just be like, yeah, let's see what fucking happens, guys. Let's go. Like, well, and especially like if you're getting it from a gas station, there's no. I mean, and this is with a lot of black market stuff, but mm -hmm. like there's no regulation, so you really don't know how strong it is, what you're gonna get. That's where it gets dangerous because. If you have <clears throat> some kind of tolerance to it, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, but still, like, I don't even know if that's a thing with this because there's so many, if there's like 140 different types. Yeah. You know, like maybe you were tolerant to one type at the gas station and then they got a new batch in that's mm -hmm. completely different. Yeah. Well, and I think I, now I'm recalling, I think I actually remember somebody talking about this at one point where it's just, sprayed like you just have these plants and they're just sprayed like with a spray gun or with a spray nozzle and so that's part of the reason that the potency is different is because maybe this mm. one got sprayed a lot and this one didn't get sprayed very much and so even if you do have some sort of tolerance the next batch might be more potent the next next batch might have cannabinoids synthetic cannabinoids that is that are more uh concentrated in the the solvent that you're spraying mm -hmm. on it, which the solvents are never just like water either. The solvents are some sort of alcohol that may or may not have something else going on in it. I mean, if it's just like rubbing alcohol, it'll dissolve away. But I don't know that that's the solvent that they're using either. So now you have the solvent interplay for these polydrug interactions. Well, and, and different companies or lab, quote unquote labs, like back mm -hmm. alley labs, are using different things. Like, so it's so, it's so... And unpredictable. Yeah. And on top of all of that, the high is not like with regular marijuana cannabinoids. Like, e even if they are related to it, they're nothing like that because they are made in labs to be, I don't know, the only, the only comparison I can think is like a super soldier, right? So you have regular soldiers that are regular humans and you put them on the front lines and then you have the fucking Hulk. And that's kind of what the synthetic cannabinoids are like, where they are meant to be intense agonists for the CB1 and CB2 receptors. And so they do have highs that are similar but worse. And so you have, instead of a sense of well-being, you're out of control. Instead of mild euphoria, you're hallucinating, you know? And because they hook on so intensely and so tight, they actually hook on for longer. And so mm. the high that you get is more intense and it happens for a longer amount of time. And that's dangerous, especially if you're like gonna get fucked up at night and then you're like, oh, I have to go to work and I'm still <laughs> tripping balls. Like, yeah, yeah. and everything, the walls are bleeding. Yeah, like, and, and I'm agitated and My possible... heart rate is up, yeah. like I'm having panic attack symptoms and, and maybe bleeding on the inside. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so because of all of this, they think that's why it's also dangerous is because it's hooking on to the CB1 receptors in the brainstem. And that might be one of the causes, you know, of death. It's it's not only inducing seizures, but it's hooking on to these, these receptors in the body that natural compounds will only hook on for a bit. And then your body can relax and go back to the way it was. Mm -hmm. But it's hooking on for so long that it might just fucking kill you. 
and because it's just staying there it's like yeah no i'm i'm not peacing out i'm yeah yeah here and your forever your body wants to let it go your body's like okay got the signal sent the signal out but you are still hooking on and wanting me to send the mm. signal out and that's not something that your body is used to and the ability to deactivate that signal becomes decreased that's terrifying yeah yeah i would say so this is a not something i recommend whatsoever like if any high schoolers are like oh synthetic cannabinoids I can get it at the gas station, and then I can still run track, and my parents won't be the wiser. No, they're going to fucking know. They're well, going to know. A, a co-worker of mine, they, their, their niece, who was in middle school, got oh, into oh. yeah, got into some of this, and it was like over 12 hours. Like, she went, <sighs> she was at a friend's house and came home, and she like bit the mailman oh god like straight up like and so they don't know what's wrong because she was super agitated and so this is something that's lasting like way too long for yeah yeah yeah, mm -mm. No, yeah and you. i mean i know that like thc edibles last a long time but that's all route of administration you know and right yeah, and it's, and different. so and I'm and I guess I like this is smoked, right? I guess I just assumed that. Yeah, no, this is smoked. So this is typically smoked or vaped because there okay. is the vape right, option. Right, right. But I did find that apparently there's illicit gummies that you can oh. get, and mm. like we're clearly reporting from Colorado, so a state that has legalized it at least on the state level. Um, so I've never seen nor heard of illegal illicit gummies. I don't, I don't even like that. It's just so weird to me that you could like talk to somebody on the street who will hand you a bottle of gummies and yeah. be like, yeah, whatever. And then it's, a, I think it's the same thing. I think it's these synthetic cannabinoids that get you too like really fucked up and have killed people. The gummies themselves have killed people. That's insane. Right? Yeah. If you want gummies, just go to, go, go to, to the, the weed shop and it will be actual weed and you'll know how much is in each gummy. And you'll pop hot on tests, but, like, you won't die. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that's a good reward. Um, I, I like it when I don't die. Yeah, I prefer it when I don't die. Well, and that's, and I mean, and you'd think that it'd kind of scare people straight. Like, I mean, <laughs> the only reason I knew about it was because of the soldiers whose friends had had bad experiences. Right. Like, but I... But I've never heard this talked about in the news in our local area. Like, I think that this is something that's super underreported. Like, and so yeah. I think that that the dangers of it, um, they're, they're not well known, you know. But maybe that's just maybe that's just in this area. I don't know. I I don't I don't think that this is something like my mom doesn't know what this is. Right. You know, like, I don't think that it's something that everybody knows about. Right. Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I don't think that it has to do necessarily with the fact that it's legalized here, which would be my first instinct is like, oh, synthetic cannabinoid use is down because weed is legal in Colorado. But because most of the time they're taken to get around urine testings and just like mm -hmm. basic urine testing, you know, for like like I said earlier, like getting a job or something like mm -hmm. that. It is not as far as I know on those tests. And neither is bath salts and things like that. Like, I'm pretty sure those aren't on it. Um, they, they're just testing for basic things like 
weed, opiates, amphetamines, things like that. But I did see that in states that have legalized weed, opiate use is down. So like, you know, all the opioids that you could get Mm -hmm. illicitly and all the fentanyl analogs, those are down in places where weed is legal. So I don't know. Maybe it's two different like sects of people who are using and the, the one who was using it, you know, the opioids, they're like, oh, I want it for pain relief. Weed is legal now. I'll just go pay, you know, super high taxed weed and I won't fucking die because it won't right. be laced with fentanyl or right. synthetic cannabinoids. Whereas with the synthetic cannabinoids, it almost seems like it is more of a recreational thing to a point. And they're like, well, it's not worth it if I'm going to pop hot. But literally, you will fucking die. So it's not yeah. not worth it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it can be seen if you end up in the hospital. It can be seen. So even if you don't end up on mm. a test and you get your job, you get to stay in the military, things like that. If you end up in the hospital, they can do tests. Or if you end up at the coroner's office, they can do tests and they can so find... So those do exist now. Yes. Because if they're just looking at the structure, they can just look for that general structure. For some of them, I'm sure, at least, and say, okay, yes, we did find synthetic cannabinoids. And even if we are a step behind, analysts are still aware in certain you know, mm-hmm. communities that they need to be looking for these things. And so... They could look for it in more intense tests, like the ones that I did at the coroner's office, things like that. Well, it's it's nice that somebody knows to look for it, but mm-hmm. it's also one of those things like too little too late if you're looking for it when you're on the slab at the coroner's office. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because who knows if they'll be able to take your blood sample and help other people and backtrack to help the community. I right. don't know. I have no idea. And I think you're you're partially right that there is some underreporting because it was hard to find information on this. I mean, I found all of the the outbreaks and a lot of that was just not super sympathetic to the people who were hospitalized and the people who had died. And so it's almost like they're not reporting on it because it's like, ah, well, you know, it's only happening to these people. So right. it's not a big deal. There was a case where... Um, And I wanted it to be the focus of this episode, but I couldn't find much information on it. This this kid, and I can't even remember his name. His name came up in my research. Um, But he was 18, and he had just graduated high school, I think, and he was going to go to college. And, like, very normal kid. Took spice, had, like, hallucinations and the suicidal ideation, and he shot himself. Oh, my God. And then his mom found him, I think is the story. Um, his mom found him. His family is totally devastated. They, you know, couldn't have seen this coming because it seems like there was no buildup to it. Like he didn't. He was have... not a depressed kid, right? There like... was no prior suicidal ideation or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his his family was like, "This is a problem. This needs to be addressed." And they actually got the attention of a senator, who then took their son's story to the Senate, and they passed a bill criminalizing synthetic cannabinoids. But even despite the fact that, like, that was a big deal story and it got taken to the Senate, I could not find nearly anything about this kid's story because we're just not talking about it. It's Well, and it seems like it's because it's not a large population who's using it. Like, why talk about it? Mm -hmm. But it seems important enough to, like, I don't know, have a special or something. (laughs) 
Yeah. Like, say get no to some synthetic of the, cannabinoids. <laughs> yeah, like get some of the mom's feathers ruffled about it so that they scare their kids. I don't know. Right. But it's but it's also one of those things like when you're a kid and you feel like you're invincible to the world, you're going to think like that not me. It couldn't be me. Yeah. So another one of the problems um, that is closely related to how tight these cannabinoids hook onto the receptors is withdrawal. Withdrawal can be very dangerous because you've had this, you've had this chemical hooked onto your receptor for so long, potentially every day. I read a case study where somebody was doing it every day just because, you know, withdrawal is the... The mechanism with withdrawal, I guess, is the same with everything, where something was hooked onto your receptor, your body adapted to that, and now it needs to adapt to it not being on the receptor anymore. Mm. And when you have something that's hooked onto it that strongly, it's going to be worse. And so withdrawal can be very dangerous for people. Um, Treatment of withdrawals, treatment of overdoses is hard to manage because there's so many different kinds of synthetic cannabinoids that can be in spice and you never know which it is. So they kind of just have to treat you based on what you come in presenting with. Like treat the symptoms instead of the overarching Unfortunately. Withdrawal. So gotcha. they might give you a benzo for agitation, an anticonvulsant or an antipsychotic, something, you know, an antiemetic, um, an IV, but that's all they can really do is just treat you for that. Mm. And then, um, you know, there's additional issues with routes of administration as well. And so if you are vaping it, there might be vitamin E contamination. And when there's vitamin E contamination, you get a very specific injury that is called vaping-associated pulmonary injury that happens when you vape vitamin E. I've heard about that because that's like with the kind of uh, with the vape, uh, the vape oils that were made like illicitly on the street, not so much the ones that were sold in Mm -hmm. smoke shops, Mm -hmm. but the ones that like the guy on the corner is slinging. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was bad news. Yep. Yep. Mm. And and then to bring it right back around to where we started, if you end up with spice that is uh, tainted with a broad effect room, that anticoagulant. Um, then you need to have coagulant tests to make sure that that's, in fact, what is happening. And then you are going to be treated with doses of vitamin K and supportive care that will hopefully be enough to stop the bleeding and to make it so that your body starts to coagulate again. Because that's the problem is that you're just not, you know, coagulating anywhere. Um, But it does have a very high half-life, and so even if you're treated with the vitamin K as soon as you come in, as soon as you're like, ah, my gums are bleeding and I smoked spice, oops, um, it can last for weeks. It can be a really long period of treatment that you'll have if that anticoagulant is in the spice. Well, what did we learn here today, kids? (laughs) Don't do weird drugs. Don't do weird drugs that say that they're incense. Know what you're getting. Just mm-hmm. like test your drugs. Right. Don't don't do drugs from the gas station. Don't do Maybe. that. Maybe that's a good rule too. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> Anything that you're gonna get on the street is not gonna be good. Don't don't eat edibles, even if they look like they're in legit containers if you don't know where they came from. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Um, yeah, and if you're trying to do something to get around drug testing, maybe get help for your drug dependence instead, because death is not a good alternative to that. It is not. 
Yeah. So happy 420. Happy 420. If you're going to imbibe, imbibe safely. Yes. And do the real God-given shit, not not <laughs> this man-made stuff. <laughs> exactly. And hopefully we'll see you all or you'll you'll all hear us in the next two weeks because you didn't do anything nasty. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fogweaver. More of their music can be found on bandcamp.com. Lethal Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dineko. Stay safe, and remember, the dose makes the poison. <laughs> <laughs>